Today we begin a brand new series in the book of Ephesians. We're going to work our way right through it. Excited about it called Amped. And we're excited that we get to dig into a letter that was written a long time ago to a group of Christians by the man Paul. So often when we jump into epistles like this, this was originally written to a, a, a local church. And so Paul wrote it and a reader would get up. They got a letter from Paul. And so they would just read it the whole way through. Obviously, we're going to break it down into pieces. They didn't have chapters. They didn't have commas and, and periods and uh, exclamation points. And it was just this letter that was written and since has been translated um, in a, a phenomenal way. And so we have a, a, a translation today that was from the original text. It's exciting to look at this letter. This letter was written to a church that didn't have a whole bunch of problems as far as there was, wasn't deep sin. There wasn't issues. There wasn't uh, division. It's a letter that was written. Paul writes to a group and they wants them to see who they are in Christ and to see how important it is for them to know that they, they've been given an unbelievable inheritance, uh, blessings and all kinds of things that come to you as a follower of Christ. So by the time you get through this book with me, and even as we go through just a portion of it today, you should walk out of here a lot different than you walked in knowing who you are in Christ. Sometimes we just need that little boost in our walk because life seems difficult and can be very challenging. And when we walk away and say, man, there's a bright future. There's a God that has us and loves us. And we're grateful for that. Beginning of this book is probably one of the deepest um, letters uh, when it comes to theology, understanding of salvation, election, terms like chosen, predestination, free will. And there's a lot of time that can be spent on the beginning of this book, a lot of arguments, and there's been arguments since the beginning of time. I'm going to share my view on what I believe, but more importantly, I'm going to show what happens as a result of this, not spend so much time on trying to figure out all the different views on it. I'm going to show you what I believe to be true. But I know this, that we've all have been parts of teams, and so Paul's going to show us what it means to be a teammate uh, with God and how, how he put us on his team and how we become a team member. All of us have had different opportunities to be parts of teams. I remember uh, uh, a long time ago, back when we had five and a quarter inch floppy drives, 14.4 modems. And I remember when 386 was a fast computer. Anybody remember those days way back in the day? Speaking Greek to a lot of young teens here today. But back in the day, there were computers that, that, that were slow. And I remember they had the five and a quarter inch floppy disk. And it's like these things were huge. And, and, and during that time, I found myself at Grace College. And I wanted to um, uh, pursue an education, and I ended up getting a degree in Bible. I minored in uh, Greek and Hebrew, and I remember spending some time there. And so my initial freshman year, I decided I would go out as a walk-on for the basketball team. I had played basketball uh, for most of my life, and as, as far back as I can remember. And I decided that I would try to go out for the college team. I wasn't recruited. I was on the East Coast, and a lot of the guys were recruits, but they allowed walk-ons and recruits. And so I began this journey on this uh, trying to make the Grace College basketball team. In the first couple weeks, we never touched the basketball for two weeks. It was all preseason training. Uh, involved a lot of running, a lot of, a lot of uh, jumping off of boxes, and a lot of long-term, a lot of sprints. We spent a lot of time at Warsaw Track doing intervals and sprinting. They were trying to see what kind of performers we could be. We were tested with uh, times and skills, and um, we would run quarter miles, and we'd do 14. Or, I remember once I ran a 14 100-yard um, sprints and get your uh, heart rate back. And so 
I was trying to perform. I was trying to show them that, that I could, wanted to be part of this team and was good enough to be on this team. And so about two weeks into that, we finally touched the basketball. And, and even the basketballs we touched, our coach, Coach K, gave us brand new basketballs. You've ever had a brand new basketball? It had a lot of air in them, and they were greasy. And so they were even difficult to hold on to. But during this time, this journey... There was one weeknight that we were practicing, and over on the, in the stands was Bobby Crimmins. Now, he goes way back. He was the coach of, of Georgia Tech in the ACC. He was the basketball coach there, and he was in town recruiting Rick Fox, who played for Warsaw High School, who went on to play for UNC and went on to play for Boston Celtics and the L.A. Lakers. I actually have a story there. I played in a game with Rick Fox one time, me and another guy. Uh, when I was a college freshman, and um, we got in a game two on two, and I think, who's this freshman? Who's this, uh, this high school senior thinks he's good? He was that good. Got in a game, and my buddy elbowed him, and he had a scar on, for his whole NBA career right here where he got seven or eight stitches. And every time watching, I was in the game that gave him stitches. That was like my claim to fame um, with him. But we were there, and so there were skills. Got to the end of this, the, the, the tryouts. Um, coach told us that the people who made the team would be on a list. And their name would appear at the coach's office over by the gymnasium. And if your name's on the list, report for practice. So I knew when it was going to be. I woke up that morning, and it was before chapel. So I worked my way over to Grace Gym, and there on the wall by the coach's office was this list. I went by myself, because you're not taking anybody with you in case your name's not on that list if you're a real man. You just don't do that. So I'm walking over and just hoping beyond hope that I'm on this list. So I get there, and I walk to this list, and I scan my eye scan, and there was my name. I made the team. And it was like, I was so excited, but I didn't want anybody around me to see it, because I'd be, you know, it's like, I was like, inside, I was, if you could see me on the inside, I was, and the outside, you know, cool, made team. You know, and so left there and walked away, and went on to class, and I gave my parents a call, and it was exciting. I made the team, and for some reason during that time, maybe I had the skill, ability, character, chemistry, whatever it took to make the team, I made the team. And so, but it was based upon performance. It was based upon skill. It was based upon a variety of things. We're tested on many levels to make teams. We have to perform. I'm going to show you a video of a group of NFL football players who wanted to show their skills to people watching for fantasy draft. And so this video I'm about to show you will show these NFL football players wanting you to pick them. And the video is called Pick Me, and they want to show their skills so that they can become part of your team. Look at what the, the extremes and the talents that these men went through to be placed on a team. Watch these. In this line of work, you need strength as well as instincts. Put it right here. Check this out. Ready? Go! (laughs) That's why you picked me. (laughs) Your move. Last year, they didn't know what I was capable of. This year, they still don't. <laughs> Pick me. Well, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to show you a little something I've been working on. We're going to take these first two balls and hit them off the left upright. Then we're going to take the next two balls and hit them off the right upright.
need a kicker, right? Pick me. <laughs> Everyone watching at home, I want you to check this out. Two receivers, two footballs, one choice. Go. <laughs> hey, Chris, Chris, one more time. They've been asking me to do this all day. Check me out. One more time. Come on. There's three reasons to pick me. Your move. <laughs> In this league, if there's a hole, no matter how small, you got to be able to get through it. Check this out. <laughs> In your league, you better pick me. Your move. It's really only 259. They hate it when I do this. Check it out. It's time to pick me. It's your move. <laughs> Obviously, there's some skill and talent there. It took a lot for these players to perform. And obviously, they did some things that uh, were pretty supernatural. But suppose we had to be picked by our talent or skill. Suppose you had to be placed on Jesus' team by your ability. Would you make the cut? Could we perform enough to meet perfection? Could we be part of a team that required great skill, great talent? I'm going to show you today that that's not how God picked his team. And that's not how we became Christ followers. And that's not how we became part of this family called Christians. Jesus had another plan for us. And by the time we're at the end of this message, you're going to be grateful for that. Turn to the book of Ephesians. And I want you to look at chapter 1 of Ephesians. Find that if you need a Bible today. Hold your hand up. We'll put a Bible in your hand and if you don't have a Bible, take this Bible home with you. But turn to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to read a letter that was written by Paul to a group in, in Ephesus. And he's going to remind them of all the blessings and the inheritance and, and all that they have in Christ. And by the time we get to the end of this, and we get to the close of our service, as we sing this last song, you should be, if you're a Christ follower, just overflowing with joy. In fact, you might find yourself just, just emoting uh, uh, emotions that you've never experienced before when you find out who you are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 is what we're going to read. But verses 3 through 14, for all the English teachers across our world and for all the people who, who can't stand grammar, who struggle in grammar, you'll love this because Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 3 to 14 is all one sentence. When Paul wrote this in the original, one sentence. It wasn't either word. That was before they had commas and periods. So when he wrote, he, had, he was the master of run-on run on sentences. I love Paul. Just love him. I love the way he, he, his grammar just jumped out. So stand with me. And as you think about that, think about receiving this and trying to say this in one breath, all in one sentence. Paul had so much to say. He's like, he couldn't stop and even and put a, a paragraph or a, 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 a comma. He said, I'm so excited. This is what it is. Let's 
let's read verses 1 through 14 and pay careful attention verses 3 through 14. It's all one sentence. Let's read this together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now begins one continuous sentence, 3 through 14. Ready, read. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us in the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to have hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who has deposit guaranteed our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Take a breath, huh? Have a seat. One sentence, one continual sentence from verse 3 to 14, packed with rich theology, packed with argument after argument after argument through the years. People trying to determine what this meant and whether they were right or whether they were wrong. This passage tells us right away when it comes to being on God's team. I believe this as I look at this passage that he drafted us to be on his team. God drafted us. He was the first to act. And before the foundation of the world, he chose us. He elected us. He allowed us to be on his team. This week was the NFL draft. And if you're a football fan, you might have caught some of that. I watched some of the NFL draft. I love watching the, when the first round potential uh, draft picks go to this place. There are a bunch of fans there from all the football teams with all their jerseys on. And when their team comes up and they have a chance to pick for their team, they start hollering. If they like to pick, they cheer. If not, they boo. But while they're seated there, these potential first-round guys, they don't know with absolute certainty that they're going to be picked. But they go with hopes because their agent told them or they had conversation with a, a general manager of a team that they could be picked. And I love that moment. As they sit there and, and sometimes as the draft rolls on and they haven't been picked yet, you can see the look in their face. It's like, am I going to be part of this team? Was I good enough? Were my skills best? Maybe I should have given them this tape. Maybe I should have done better at this combine. And, and so they're there waiting to see if they're picked. And then that moment when they call their name or they receive a phone call from the general manager of the team before they call their name. I've seen grown men cry. And I've seen men get up and they, they hug their girlfriends and hug their wives and their family. And I watched this week, I watched this defensive lineman come out, big burly guy, strong and fast, go over to the commissioner, pick him off the ground and just squeeze him. Just like, yeah, I'm on the team. I was drafted 
Because of my skill and ability, I made the team. Let me just tell you this. There wasn't one good act that you've ever been able to do. It's not based upon your talent. It's not based upon your looks. It's not based upon your your intellect. Before the foundation of the world, before the world was created, God chose you before you blew your first raspberry, before you were able to get your first grade, before you had your first tooth, before you could say mama and papa or dada, you were chose to be on his team. God acted first. He drafted us to be on his team. In fact, look at verse three and four. This is what it says in verse three. Look what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, what? What does it say? Chose us. In him from when? The creation of what? Of the world. Okay. From the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, it says. Here's what that means. Before you breathe the breath, before anything ever happened, before you performed, before you showed him your tape with how good you were to asking him to be on your team, God said, I chose you. God acted first. Before we were even born, before the, the, the foundation of the earth and the world was laid out, God chose you to be on his team. Think about this for a second. It wasn't based upon your worth your performance, your skill. See, that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around in America. It really is because we live in a democratic society that says, show me how good you are. Give me a speech. Tell me your track record. What school did you go to? How long have you done that? Show me your experience. And when God saw us and, and, and before the foundation of the world, he didn't pull out this resume. Say, let me see Jim Brown's resume because let me tell you, none of us could have ever done enough performed good enough, kicked enough balls against a bell. We could have never done it to perform and get to perfection. It would be impossible. And so God acted first and said, I want you to be on my team. Yet there's been all kinds of arguments on both sides of the fence. This argument called election. If God elected people, then does that, if he elected them, why witness? Why share? What's the responsibility if you believe that God has chosen? How does that operate our free will? Is he a God that has these, that's like this puppet master and we just kind of move and he pulls strings and we move, go here and go here. No, we know we have a free will. It's evident. You think God would have, give people a free will and say, here, choose sin. Yes, we have a free will. God's not just a person who moves us. He gives us a free will. So somehow he takes our choices, our free will, our volitional will, our chances that we have in front of us. He lets us, he lets us respond to the gospel. Somehow he takes our hearts, our action, our motives. And when we hear the gospel, we respond. But he knew before the foundation of the world, he marked it out, set it out that we would be on his team. Now, I've sat in circles. I've stood outside of seminary classes. I have guys would love to argue this till they're blue in the face. And I always walk away. I said, guys, let's stop and think. Let's quit spending hours and hours and hours in arguments. The world needs Jesus Christ. I'm saved. Let's rejoice in that and let's leave. Think about this for a second. If you know Christ. You should feel so empowered. You should feel so blessed because you got all the blessings of Christ in you. It's difficult to wrap our minds around it. Here's why it's difficult. Because we have a God who's an infinite God. 
He's infinite. So he thinks past, present, and future all in one train of thought. We think present, and we can, some of us can remember the past. Most of us can't remember anything three weeks ago. But we can think past, we can think present, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. God does. He sees it all. And so when we read this text, it says, God chose us before the foundation or creation of the world. We think of a point of time. It's like, well, that's before the, the world was created. And that's when this all took place. And so our minds are finite. And when we go back there, it's like, okay, that's a point of time. When God was at that point of time, he was thinking past, present, and future. So when he was thinking, he saw the whole breath of our life in front of us. We, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not bound to time like we are. And so when we read in Scripture, God chose it for the foundation world. That's for our minds. Yes, he did before the world was created. But when he was in that moment, he was already thinking what already happened to our lives and everyone's lives. And he knew the point of time that we would respond to this gift that he had already given us. Point be taken. We are on God's team. So here's where it plays out. People will say, well, if that's the case and God has elected, he's chosen, why evangelize? What's the purpose? If God's already chosen them, why do I need to share my faith? Because how much of the New Testament gives us a command to be witnesses? How much of the New Testament says, go and share? How many times in the New Testament you see people who were sent out? Why in the world would you have a missionary for crying out loud by the name of Paul if he didn't believe that God wanted him to share the faith in the gospel of Christ? Because somehow God uses us. Isn't that what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they know unless someone is sent? And so we are the people who are sent. We are the voices. And God takes our voices. God takes our actions. And he knows there come a point in time when he needs us to share. So that somehow when we hear or they hear the gospel, they respond and say, yes, I accept this free gift that was given to me before the foundation of the world. Only an infinite God could ever put something like that together. Ever. Because it was up to us. It all be based upon performance. Well, you're not going to be on my team unless you're this good. And unless you can do this. Think about this. Let me ask you a personal question. When you've had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, whether it's your own child, a friend, a relative, or a neighbor, whomever, how many of you have walked away just filled with joy because of that? If we don't share... If we go to where the hyper-Calvinists go and the extreme covenant theologians go, we don't, they don't even send out missionaries. They don't even send out people because God chose. Listen, you've got to throw away half of the New Testament. And that is disobedience if you don't share. You are in sin if you don't share your faith. So somehow God has figured it all out. You know what? My mind can't comprehend all that because God is so much bigger than me. But what I do know is God chose, God saves. I'm glad he saved me and he wants me to tell other people about him. And when they do, I'm going to rejoice. That's the simplicity of this. Don't make it too complex. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. I also believe that way when it comes that somehow God uses. Here's what I believe is true. God knew that the person would get saved, but I believe he allows many people to be, to be the witness to that person. So take your corner of your life. There's this person that God chose from the foundation of the world. And around this person are all these lights, all these people who already know Jesus. And I believe God says, I'm going to place this person or this person's going to be in this circle. And I want somebody in that circle who knows 
Christ and who has already, who's responded to share with that person. So that gives all these people an opportunity in this sphere, this circle to share. But here's what happens. Some people say, well, I'm not sharing. If they're elected, then they're going to get saved. And listen, you miss out on so much. And not only that, you're not listening to what God says. You're in sin because you're not completing the Great Commission. Now, if you begin to share and you're the person who is there, unbelievable joy comes to you. I also believe that about marriage, by the way. I don't believe, this is my personal opinion. You can differ on this and it's okay. I don't believe that God points out one person in the world that each person should marry. Does he know who it is? Absolutely. He thinks past, present, and future. But I believe God uses our free will. He says, okay, you get to a point in time. Do you want to go to college? Yeah, let's go to college. So let's go this part of the world or this part of the country. Or I'm going to stay home and work. Let's go work at this business. I'm going to go here and I'm going, I'm going to do this. And so the choices, the free will that we have puts us in another circle. And in this circle are choices of good people. Godly people who know Christ. And so based upon our choices, we find ourselves in this circle. Now, if we went over here, there could have been some good choices here. And if we went to college, there could have been good choices here. If we stayed home or worked, it could have been here. And so based upon our choices, God gives us the free will to choose people in those areas. All good choices, potentially. But he uses our free will. Did he know? Absolutely. Past, present, and future. Our God's mind is just, it, we can't even begin to fathom the mysteries of our God. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But just stop for a second, set aside all that theology, all that soteriology, that the, the theology of salvation, and think about this, if you know Christ today. You've been drafted by the living God. Just stop and think about that. Come on. And for those of you who have children who know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're on God's team. Can we just stop and say, wow, that is just awesome. Praise God. Can we just stop and just, 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 just sit in that for a while and say, thank you, Jesus. When's the last time you just stopped instead of running off your checklist and running off doing this ministry and doing that ministry and just pulling away and saying, thanks. Thanks before the creation of this world. That for some reason beyond me, because I, never, I could have never been good enough and I could have never performed enough to ever receive salvation. Thank you, God, that you wanted me to be on your team. Thank you. To be saved is to have the very power of God within us. Here's why I believe this process is true. It leaves no room for human pride or human works. We are his by grace and not because of effort. Anybody glad for that today, by the way? Anybody glad that you're you're his, not based upon efforts? And the text says, he did this in love. Okay. That's a very succinct understanding of a very, very, very challenging theology. But the Bible is implicit with instruction for us on how to share our faith and that we must be people who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul moves on. Look what he says in verse five. He says, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
The word predestined, it's a challenging word once again for us. Here's what it means, the simplicity of this, to mark out ahead of time. Predestined means marking out ahead of time. Predestined means to establish something in advance. To establish something in advance. When I lived in Hagerstown, Maryland, born and raised there, there was a parade that, was, that happened every year during Halloween time of the year, during the fall time of the year. It was a big, 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 big parade. Nothing like Macy's. But it would take a whole stretch of Hagerstown, all of Potomac Street, North Potomac, South Potomac, Potomac Avenue. And there would be this whole stretch, this whole street that would be set aside on a Friday night for the Mummers Parade. Now, all the high schools came with their bands. The local colleges came with their bands. People put floats. People walked in it. It was a big to-do in Hagerstown and still is, by the way. So in order to get a seat for this parade, you would have to go there the day before. Take your chairs, and you would find a spot along the way, and you would place your chairs. So as a family, we would go, and we'd place our chairs. We'd mark out ahead of time where we were going to sit. This is where we knew we were going to sit. So the next day when the parade would come, we would walk down this street, and we would walk until we saw the spot where our chairs were. We marked out ahead. We, we planned ahead. It's to do something in advance. And so what would happen? There's our chairs. And when we found our spot, we sat down in our chairs and we were part of the team, part of the group that was there watching this. We marked out in advance. And when we found the spot where that was to take place, we accepted the chair and we sat down. It's no different for us. God has marked out in advance. At some point in our lives, before the foundation of the world, he knew this. He predestined that we would be his kids. He knew the time and the place. And he put a chair. He put a person. He put people in our lives. And he put a moment. And he knew in this moment when we would respond to this free gift that that was the time he marked out before the foundation of the world where we would say, yes, God. And by free will, we accepted this gift of grace of salvation through Jesus Christ. Same thing happened here last week. There was a moment in time. 98 people crossed the line for Jesus Christ last week. It was a moment here at Grace. God, in his foreknowledge, knew that was going to take place before the foundation of the world. And it just so happened that it happened at Grace Community Church. And why did it happen? Let me tell you something. It would not have happened if the gospel wasn't shared. So you got to share. And so, listen, were we blessed by that? Did we walk away filled with joy and did people know Christ? And did some of you know those people and were you blessed by that? Absolutely. There's benefits in God's plan of salvation. Predestined also means this, to fix the ending. So here's what's really good about this. God calls, God chose, God elected. He predestined, he foreknew. And not only that, he fixes the ending of our lives. So no matter what your life looks like right now, God promises to fix the ending to your marriage. God promises to fix the ending to your business. God promises to fix the ending to your job search. God promises to fix the endings to your college education. God promises to fix the, the, the ending to this relationship you're in. He promises no matter what it looks like right now, he promises to do this. Turn back to the book of Romans and I'll show you what I mean. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Same author, Paul, talking about some of the same theology, and he says it this way. 
And we know, Romans 8, 28, that in most things, God works for the good. Is that what it says? What's it say? All things. Come on, follow along. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who what? Who what? What's it say? Love him. Who have been what? Called according to whose purpose? His purpose. For those God what? What's the next word? For new, he also what? Predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then he says this. And those he what? Predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also what? Justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So Paul's saying this. I love how Paul always puts comments to his own words in his letters. So he's writing this letter to the church at Rome. And he's writing this. He's probably thinking, wow, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? And then so in the middle of the letter, he says, like he, he stops and says, what then shall we say in response to that? He adds his own commentary to his letters. And he says, if God is for us, what's he, what's he finished with? Who can be against us? Church, that is great news for those who know Christ. Because here's what it means. No matter what your situation looks like, God promises to work it out for good to them who've been called and know him and have been predestined and, are conf- and will conform them to his likeness. Now, that means no matter where you're at and no matter what situation your situation looks like, God promises to fix it and turn it into good. Is that good news today? He promises that. Paul, Paul's on a roll here. I mean, he, he's putting a sentence. He's packing this sentence full, this first sentence. And then he says this. Read on and look what he says. He says, not only do we predestine us, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Christ Jesus. And he does this because he loves us. Once you're adopted into God's family, you will never be able to not You'll never be able to be unadopted by God. (laughs) We have problems with that. We do. In America, we have problems. We have problems with, well, if I do so much bad, then God won't, I can no longer be his son or daughter. Let me tell you something. Here's how this works. Some of you have adopted kids. Some of you have been adopted. Praise God for that. And some of you understand adoption. Here's what that means. That means once God chose you, put you on his family, there is nothing in this world that could ever unadopt you from God. Think about this. John 10 gives us a very beautiful picture. It says, how can an infinite God who has an infinite grip, eternal grip on his sheep, on his children, how in the world can finite people who have their hand wrapped and surrounded and, and by eternal God with an eternal grip, how in the world could we ever be removed from that grip? How could we be plucked out of an eternal God's hand? It is impossible to. And here's why. If it was possible, then that means this. The way we got in was by our works. And the way we get out is by our bad works. And we're saved by grace through faith because God determined that we would be part of his team. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. Let let me explain it this way. You will always be his kids. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And when God makes a promise, you can bank on it. Otherwise, what kind of God is that? Well, that means if you do this little sin here, then 
this little sin that you've, you've committed, God's not going to love you anymore. At what point do you say, what is the sin that breaks this relationship with God? If it's based upon works for us leaving, then it has to be based upon works for us getting, getting it. It isn't. It's by grace through faith. As a father, I have three children that I love dearly. Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah. And Lord willing, they will always follow hard after God. That's, that's my desire, and that's my wife's desire, Anne. We desire that they will always follow hard after God. But just suppose there's a day that they make choices, that, that they choose to go another direction, and they walk down this path, and, and they turn their backs, and they turn their backs on us. And they say, I don't, know, I don't know Jim Brown. He's not my dad. I don't know Ann Brown. She's not my mom. Let me tell you something. No matter how far they get down that path, and no matter what they say, and no matter what, what they want to believe, If you were to check the DNA of Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah Brown, it says Brown. The inside is DNA. And let me tell you something. I will never stop loving them. I will never forsake them, nor will Ann. Never, never, never. And you open them up, they might deny that they're Brown. But let me tell you, once they've been part of this family and they were created by this family and they were adopted and they were born, they are Brown until they die, no matter what they say. Put that in the realm of this relationship with our God. Once he adopts us, he calls us, he saves us, he justifies us, he redeems us. No matter what we think, there will never be a way for us to never be God's kids. Never. If it's a genuine conversion, if it's a life-saving situation where we, we walk with God and he, and he knew that because he chose us for the foundation where when you open us up, we will always carry the DNA of Jesus Christ and the blood that he bore on the cross. Always, always, always. Adoption is a beautiful thing. It, it is. Here's what I know. I, I, I begin to understand it better even as I think about our children in Asia. I have some blood children that I love dearly, Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah. And I have some adopted children that I have in Cambodia and Thailand. They're adopted. They're, they're my kids as much as they are your kids. And they know that. Just because they're on the other side of the world, they're my, my children. And let me tell you, they understand adoption better than we could. Have. And when they look at something like this, they say, I understand that. I know what that means. And, and, and long ago, when I first met these kids and I met the house parents and I told them, we will always be your mama and father. We will always care for you. We will always be for there because our church is backing it up. Our church loves you. you will, there will never come a day that we won't be there to care for you. And by God's grace, we'll do it in the best fashion possible as any parent would for their kids. And so when you drive into these villages, these children understand it at a very small age. And you go in there, and even as a father, when I pull back in and you heard me say this, you get out of the van, they come running to me and they say, Daddy, because they see me as as their adopted kids. And let me tell you, when they come running, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not your daddy. And when they sin and do something wrong, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not your adopted father. They will always be my kids. The last time in we were there, there was this little three, four-year-old Cambodian boy who just came on. To, we just was able to rescue. He had a brother that was in the, the Batambang home that, that, we, that we have. And so he just came on. He joined his brother, and they found him. I'm not certain where he was at, but he was in a place that was, didn't have any parents to take care of him. And so they brought him in, and, and he couldn't speak real well. But something happened between him and I. But the first time he saw me, he hadn't had a father figure in his life, three or four or five. He might have been five years old. 
the first time he saw me, there was this group of bigger kids around. He came busting through the kids, pushed them out of the way and jumped into my arms, took his little legs and wrapped them around my body, took his arms and wrapped them around my body and just hung on. I couldn't even shake him free. I didn't even have to hold him. I just walked like this and he was, he was just holding on. And all through those days that we were there, wherever he went, he would see me and he would come running. Just come running at me and just jump up. Beautiful eyes, brown eyes and jumping and hold on. I carried him up a temple mount and we got really close. And he got to know what, how to say daddy in English. And there was a moment we were up on top. He turned and looked at me and he said, daddy, let me tell you something. That little boy understands what adoption is. He understands it. He doesn't question it. He doesn't worry about all the nuances of Greek and Hebrew. He doesn't argue about it. He just says, thank you. And when he saw me the rest of the time with her, he would come running to me, wrap his arms around me, and just in the expression of love say, thank you. Isn't it time that we just do that? That we get Get alone and just say, God, thank you. And we run to God with our arms wide open instead of worrying about all the nuances of this salvation is so rich and just jump in his arms instead of saying, I'm not sure if it was before the foundation world. I'm not sure when it happened. I'm not sure this. Just say, thank you, God, and cling to him. That's the picture that Paul is trying to drive home here. Listen, we're adopted by God that loves us so much. And before we breathe the breath, he says, you are part of the family. And we should say, Thank you. That's the picture here. His pursuit of us cost us and cost him more than we could ever imagine. I mean, it cost him a lot. Look at verse 7. It says this. It says, verse 5 and 6, he predestined in his glorious riches. In verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to the mystery of his will according to Christ. I mean, this, this, it costs him a lot. I'm always saddened when I see people argue over this. They're arguing over like words of redemption and election and, and free will. I said, would you just set down your arguments and just say thank you? Christ gave us life. He redeemed us from the bondage of slavery to sin and, and gave us a, a bondage to slavery of righteousness because of Jesus. It's just crazy love. And then he says this in, in verse 9. He says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven on earth together under one head, even Christ. There will be a day, in other words, Paul says, when everything will be under Jesus' complete rule. And here's what that means. No matter how dark, how dreary, how troublesome your life is right now. There will come a day when Jesus is in complete rule. When Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, when there will be no sin and no darkness, and we will reign with Christ forever. Anybody looking forward to that day? Paul says, look ahead. Quit looking at this moment where everything seems to be falling apart. Put your whiny attitudes to bed. Now, I often think about that. I find comfort in knowing that there will be a day. That, that Christ will reign supremely and everyone will bow down and worship him. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced when we get to heaven one day, some of us will look back 
And we'll look at these, these times in our lives where we complain and we whined about kids and we whined about school and we whined about health and we whined about time and we whined about how much time our wives spent and how much time our husbands spent and all this whining. And we'll look back and say, why in the world did I spend so much time whining when I should have spent it praising and saying, thank you, God. Boy, we have to do some attitude checks from time to time. And Paul gives us a great reminder. Listen, it's not as bad as you think it is. Because in reality, how long is 70 or 80 years of our lives compared to, to infinity? Think about it. It's just a blip. We spend so much time wasting time and whining time on the 70 years of life when it's just a small part of our life. Listen to me. There's come, there will come a day when everything changes. Look forward. Quit looking past. Quit your whining and say, with Christ, I have an inheritance. It's unbelievable. That's what Paul's saying here. But some of you walk out of here and you'll start whining, oh, my kids and all my health and all, all this relationship and all this. And we'll complain to our husband, why don't you do more of this? And our wives, why don't you do more of this? And I want to say, put it to bed for crying out loud. You're redeemed. You're born again. You have this unbelievable inheritance in Christ. Run to your father's arms and say, thank you, Jesus. When I worked at the teen center in Hagerstown, Maryland, the first four years of our lives, Ann and I married lives, I spent the first four years every Saturday night. It was a huge commitment that my wife was vested into for the sake of other kids. So for the first four years of our lives, just about every Saturday night was spent investing in teenagers. We opened a teen center in Hagerstown, Maryland, myself and a couple other men. We saw all these needs in Hagerstown on the streets. We saw homeless kids. We saw kids that were hooked on drugs. We saw children who had made poor decisions. We saw just this, this, this array of people who needed help. And so we opened up this gym and called it the Hagerstown Teen Center. Kids would come in and play air hockey. Kids would come in and shoot pool. Kids would come in and play basketball and volleyball. We, had, we, we saw refreshments at cost. And during that night, we would have, at some point, I would give a devotional. And so I invested in these kids. Found myself in hospitals with girls giving preg- pregnant girls giving birth to uh, children. Found myself counseling a lot of kids, trying to get them off drugs. And, and I just, I became kind of just standing in the gap for these children. Needless to say, I grew to love them deeply. And hopefully they grew to love me. And one of the hardest things for me when I left Hagerstown was leaving these children. But I knew God had a call in my life for what I'm doing today. But there came a point often during the time where these, these kids would come in. I have a real heart for children and people that most people say belong on the B team. It's probably because of my upbringing and being on a B team as a single, a child of a single family. That's how people saw us. And so one night, one of the early times of the teen center, I noticed that there was this kid against the wall. And I noticed that he didn't look like he was dressed to play basketball. And so during the night, we would often play basketball and we would pick teams. And I always played basketball and picked a team. It was my way to interact with the teens that were there. And so I noticed this kid. I always looked at the kids that were kind of on the fringes. I wanted to pull them in, graft them in, let them become part of the team. And I looked over and I saw this guy, and I got to pick first. And I pointed over. I said, I'll take that guy right there. And so this guy's standing over on the wall. And I said, hey, what's your name? And the guy looked back at me. And he, said, he said, my name is Robert. And so I said, hey, Robert, come here. Point at him. I said, hey, won't you come and join me and get on my team? And so he came over and walked over. And so... Just from a, an outward appearance, it looked like the guy couldn't play basketball. I said, come on, keep, come on over. Put him on my team. 
After about three times down the court, I realized he couldn't play basketball. And we had three other players on the team. But I made a a decision. I was going to make him part of that team. I was going to draft him. I was going to pour into him. And so I decided that I was going to let Robert shoot the ball until he made a bucket. So we went down one time, and, and the guy that was guarding him was typical, a teen. He wants to perform and do well. And he was hawking him with defense. And so I grabbed a hold of his shorts and held him back and threw the ball to Robert. And so Robert's about 15 feet. And I said, Robert, shoot the ball. Shoot the ball, Robert. And he shot it and was 15 foot short. I realized we got a long ways to go here. Five or six times down the court, 10 or 11 times, I'm not certain. I did the same thing. This guy wanted to guard him. I got behind him, grabbed his shorts, wrapped my arm around him, passed the ball to Robert. Shoot it, Robert. Shoot it. Every time he missed. Eventually, throughout the night and through over a period of a couple of weeks, I got the ball to Robert and he made a bucket. It went in. I mean, it, God must have parted the Red Sea there in Hagerstown. It was just, it was, it was amazing. And, and, and the shot went in. And you should have seen this kid. He went from Robert, the kid on the fringes, thinking, I can play basketball. It was exciting. I was thinking, maybe he's going to get it. So we began to play that night. We played two or three more games. And when I would pass it to Robert, he didn't shoot from three feet. He was firing up jumpers from 35 feet. And I, I got to the point where I said, Robert, you don't need to shoot the ball anymore. Because every time he got it, he was shooting. He was shooting. And I remember saying, Jim, you said shoot. Yeah, go ahead and shoot, Robert. He would shoot, 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 shoot. It was amazing what happened to Robert. All of a sudden, he felt like he was part of a team. He wasn't a good basketball player by, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I renamed him Big Bob, just as a friendship name. And I said, Big Bob, throw the ball to Big Bob. He can play ball. And by the time that summer was over, Big Bob would shoot from 90 feet away. Big Bob would shoot from 30 feet away. Big Bob felt like he, was, he could play basketball. And he went from a French person to a confident person, all because he knew he was on the team. And let me tell you something neat that happened that summer. I was able to invest a lot of time in Big Bob. Took him out for Slurpees after the teen center. It wasn't uncommon at night. My Toyota truck had five or six guys in the back of my truck. And he went out one night and I told him that there was a guy before the foundation of the world that loved him so much that gave his son Jesus Christ. So I talked about basketball and being on a team. I said, Robert, there's a team that's much better than this team. It's a team of Jesus Christ. And I watched this young man, Big Bob, give his life to Christ. Let me tell you something. The joy I experienced in that moment was incredible. And even as I was reflecting this week, I love big bobs in our world who don't have skill, who don't have talent. I love when coaches grab these guys who are B and C players, pull them in and don't give them special and give them special attention. Instead of giving special attention to the elite and pull them in and invest in their lives. And these guys end up changed because all of a sudden they went from these inferior people to people who believe they're part of something that's big. And let me tell you, we are part of something. It was based on our experience to kick a ball and ring a bell, to dive through a car. We would all fail, but God gave us grace and he put us on team at the beginning of time. And we should just say, thanks. Church, that's what we should say. God help us today. So often, we get so bogged down with the nonsense of our complaints. And how hard it is. And how difficult it is. When in reality, we have it so good. 
We have everything that Jesus has. We have the same inheritance, the same blessing. We are blessed people for crying out loud, God. Help us to see that today. And Lord, let us run to you like the little Cambodian boy did to me and cling and just say, thanks. I don't deserve this, but thank you. Oh God, may we just run to you with our arms wide open and be grateful for this salvation that's so rich and so free. And may we not keep it to ourselves. May we pass it on to people who need it too. In Jesus' name, amen.